Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Since January 8th, we have been in a series titled Jesus for Grownups. Um, each and every week we come and we open up the Word of God together and we talk through, at least in this series, we've been talking through the life, the teaching, the ministry of Jesus. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of great words have been spoken. A lot of encouraging words have been spoken. I would encourage you to go back, if, if you can, to listen to our podcast. We have over 500 encouraging messages on our podcast uh, through our website, the Media Tavern website, Facebook, YouTube, all sorts of ways to stay connected with us. But I'll encourage you to do so. You can also get caught up on the series because on January 8th, we started with the birth of Jesus and we've been working through his life, his teachings, his ministry. And we're coming to an end. We're going to have one week after Easter where we, we talk about what happens after the resurrection. But today I want to focus on what took place during the end of Holy Week. We call this Holy Week. Today is actually Palm Sunday, which is the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and people heralded him as the king. But today I want to talk about what took place at the end of Holy Week, specifically on Friday of Holy Week, the death of Jesus. Think about your life for a moment. If, if there was like a bag or a backpack that would you know, symbolize your life, I think... Inside Out would be a good option for you. Have you guys ever seen this movie? Anybody ever seen the movie Inside Out? I love this movie. Like, not just Disney Pixar movies. This is probably one of my all-time favorite movies. Because if you think about it, isn't all of our lives just a jumbled mess of joy and disgust and sadness, fear and anger? I mean, they, they chose those five core emotions for a reason, right? All of our lives could be symbolized within a backpack like this. And th- there are times, I think, in life when it feels really light, and easy, like the backpack feels empty, and we celebrate those times, and we rejoice in those times, and, and we're elated when life feels that way, but I think if we're honest, more often than not, that may not be all of our experiences all of the time, because, I mean, when you were younger, maybe you were just a kid, your dad began to speak words over you, or your mother began to speak words over you. Or someone in in a coach, maybe, or a teacher, or someone in authority who had influence over you began to speak words over you. And then, and then that, that person, right, those words, they may have been hard to hear. They may have been shaming words. And you threw a rock in your bag. And for some of you, like, man, I just, I wish that's all that the people who had influence over me did to me because those people actually abused me. And you threw a rock in your bag. And those people actually hurt me. And you threw a rock in your bag. And you began then to internalize these, these feelings and what these words were spoken over. You internalized them and you began to craft an identity about yourself around what you started to put in this life that symbolized your bag. You, you began to create an identity around it. And, and now you felt that you were unloved and you were unlovable and you were unworthy and you were unacceptable because of what other people were doing to you. And your life began to get a little heavy. And then you got a little older, you know, and you tried out for the baseball team and you didn't make the baseball team. And then you began to pity yourself. And you got a little older and you know what? You didn't get asked to the prom. 
And so you began to pity yourself. And you threw a couple more rocks in the bag. And life got a little heavier as you got older. You began to identify yourself, right? All those, all those other words, that all these influences spoken over you as a child. Unlovable, unworthy, unacceptable, not wanted, not desired. Man, they, they filled up your life. And it began to get a little heavier as you internalized and crafted your identity around these things. And then there was that time in high school where you got caught. I think it's happened to all of us, right? You got caught and you felt guilty for what you did. And that burdened conscience, it started to weigh on you a little bit. And you were throwing rocks in your bag and your bag was starting to get heavy. You were caught. You felt guilty. You felt some shame. You began to identify yourself now as broken and guilty and shamed. Well, the thing is that, that, that guilt felt like a burdened conscience, right? And it carried itself with you. It's like I was caught. I did that thing and I walked away from that thing and still I felt the burden of my conscience and my sin upon my shoulders. And the feeling began then to burn a hole in your stomach as you walked around and you kept throwing rocks into your bag. And then you were caught. You developed the reputation for being the liar because you blame shifted and you tried to fight your way out of it. And then you developed a reputation from your parents as being the cheater. And you developed a reputation from your teachers and the influences over you as being that kid who does those things. And you started filling your bag, and your bag is getting pretty heavy by this point. And then you graduated from college, and, and you had a lot of debt, and you didn't have a job, and life got stressful. And life got heavy, and so you threw a rock inside of your bag. And then you ended up getting this, you know, settled into this mundane job just to pay the bills, and you wake up angry and depressed because there's lifeless occupation that you don't want to go to, but you need to because, you know, you need to survive, and you keep throwing rocks in your bag, and life is just getting heavier and heavier and heavier, and then you lost your job, and then you were diagnosed with a disease, and then you lost a loved one, and life just kept getting heavier. And then you got married, and you thought, hey, marriage is going to fix it. But all marriage really did was it just, it just identified how selfish you really are. And you started fighting all the time, and you built up resentment, and the rocks kept filling up your bag, and your life is getting heavy at this point. You're carrying a lot of weight around at this point. And then, you know what we do? We, we try to lighten the load. We, we, we try to lighten the load. We all, we all try to fix the problem ourselves. We, we try coping mechanisms. We convince ourselves, you know what, it can't be as bad as I feel. And so I'm going to try to cope. I'm going to start doing some things. I'm going to try to take away the burden. Yeah, I know I'm guilty. I know I'm shameful. I know I've done some things. I know I'm broken. I'm going to try to fix the problem myself. Maybe I'm going to turn to the bottle. Maybe I'm going to turn to drugs. Working harder, longer hours, maybe I try to earn more money, I'm going to try to, religion, maybe a lot of people turn to religion, I'm going to go light some more candles, clench the rosary, say, say more Hail Marys, I'm going to try to do things to fix the problem that I know that I have. Fix the problem. But what, but what actually happened is that we have come to depend on all of these coping mechanisms, but what we're doing is we're, we're latching on to temporary fixes for lifelong problems, and and a temporary fix, we know, is just temporary. And when that fix goes away, then I'm back to where I started. And we're relying on external, external fixes to fix internal problems. And really what they do is just fill the bag up heavier. All of my attempts at fixing it, man, it worked for a few days. But it seems like at the end of those few days, my problem is just getting worse. And the coping mechanisms aren't working anymore. And my life is just getting heavier, and we carry this bag around that we call life. You see, we've all relied on temporary fixes, 
temporary fixes to fix eternal, lifelong problems. And we've all relied on external solutions to fix internal problems. All of us have done this. It's part of, it's part of being human upon this planet. It's part of, it's part of being a sinner is our trying to fix the solution. And so who you are carrying the weight of our brokenness, the weight of the world and guilt and shame and failures and flawed identities along with all our attempts at fixing it. And life just feels heavy. You may not be able to relate with that every single day of your life. And I pray that that is the case. But for a lot of us, we can relate to that often. This is life on Friday. This is life on Friday. And on Friday in late afternoon, outside the gates of Jerusalem, there are three crosses. There's two crosses that still have bodies hanging on them, but there is a center cross that is now empty. And above, at the top of that cross, there is a sign. And it says, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The victim is already dead. The victim has already been taken down. But the sign tells us why that person was hanging on that particular cross. And signs above crosses, they were common in the Roman world. The cross was used as a crime deterrent. That's why they put criminals on crosses. They wanted everybody coming into the city of Jerusalem to know exactly what they did with criminals in this city. You want to claim to be king of the Jews? Here's what's going to happen to you. The guy on the left we know was a thief. So, you know, he stole a loaf of bread maybe he wrote it right around his cross and like everyone knows i'm not going to go steal a loaf of bread in this town nobody wanted to be unruly in jerusalem because they knew exactly what the romans did to those who were unruly crucifixion wasn't invented by the romans it was perfected by the romans when the leaders came together to develop a crime deterrent they thought what is the most horrible painful shaming way that we can make someone die And then let's take that and put it on public display so that every single person who came into our town would never want to do what these people have done. And so they began by nailing one's hands and feet to beams that rested just above the ground. Being low to the ground actually was important. And oftentimes, if you've ever seen a movie of someone hanging on a cross, you'll find that they're way up high. That really wasn't the case. They wanted people as low to the ground as possible because part of the reason why they hung people on crosses was so that the general public could come to these people and look at them in the eyes and see how disgusting they were and spit in their face and curse them out. They also wanted them to be accessible to the wild animals at nighttime and the birds of the air to come down and swoop and eat away at their flesh. If those hanging on crosses survived the nights, most people died from suffocation. When hanging, one's diaphragm is extended, so in order to exhale, one had to push up with both their arms and their legs to close their diaphragm and breathe in. And if the Romans, you know, they just grew tired of, of all the whining or they needed the cross for another executioner, another person to put on that cross, if they needed that cross vacant, they would just come by with a big wooden mallet and they would break the legs of the people on the cross so that they could stop pushing up with their legs and pulling up with their arms and they would suffocate faster and their death would just be expedited. But when the Romans approached Jesus to break his legs, he was already dead. He had bled to death. And so they stabbed him with a spear in the side instead. Jesus is dead. Rome would say that Jesus had to die because he was a threat to Rome and any threat to Rome must die. And the reason that he is a threat is because he is Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the Messiah. And Rome knew exactly what to do with Messiahs in their day. 
They crucified messiahs. Messiahs, they were, they were revolutionary zealots. Messiahs were the ones who, who rose up saying, hey, I'm going to gather as many Jews around me as possible to reclaim the golden age of Israel, and we're going to take up swords in our hands, and we're going to go fight the oppressive Romans. And we're going to do everything in our, po- in our power to, to, to rid this world of these Romans because they have oppressed us long enough. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do. Gather an army, go to war against the Romans. And Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus wasn't a military leader. There was one time in the story when, when Peter actually wanted Jesus to take up a sword. He said, Jesus, give me a sword. He took up a sword and he cut off a Roman's, uh, it wasn't a Roman, it was a, it was a Jewish, a Jewish uh, guard's ear off. And Jesus says, Peter, stop it. That's not what we're here for. Jesus picked up that ear and he put it back on that guy's head. Jesus wasn't a military threat. And yet Jesus died a military threat. Jesus died as the Messiah. Pilate had to crucify Jesus. The Jews wanted him dead. Pilate had to do it because there could be no would-be Messiahs in Pilate's governance. Rome always won against messiahs. And so why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? I want to look back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, you guys might know this story. Maybe you've read it in the children's Bible story. Maybe you've heard it before. The Garden of Eden, we all know Adam and Eve, right? In the Garden of Eden, it's a classic story. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are there, and they eat of this tree called the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And immediately they started to fill their life with a bunch of weights, a bunch of rocks that they decided that they were going to carry around for existence. They didn't want God's life. They didn't want God's love. They wanted to be upon the throne of their own hearts. They wanted to rule. It was their own selfish ambition which caused them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they do so, and all of their life is thrown into chaos. They started filling their bags up with rocks as they hurt each other, as they feel the guilt and they feel the shame and they feel the weight of living upon a broken planet. They rejected God's love, and all of the world, we're told, was cursed. It's not like God put a magical curse upon the world. They just, they went away from the source of life. And so they experienced life in a broken state. That is what it means to be cursed now. And so they're experiencing this weight upon their shoulders. And not only that, they tried to fix it. You guys might know the story. What was the first thing they do when they eat of that tree? They, they sew fig leaves together. They try to cover up their shame. They threw some rocks in their bag. And when that didn't work, they run into hiding into the woods. They hide from their mistakes. They threw some rocks in the bag. And when that didn't work, they started blaming each other. God, it wasn't my fault. It was Eve's fault. It was that woman you put here with me. He doesn't even call her by her name. It's just that woman. And she says, God, 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 that's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. And not only that, they actually began to blame God. God, really, it's not really our fault. You're the one who put us here. They blamed everybody but themselves for their own mistakes and their own problems. They threw some rocks inside their bag and they carried this weight around with them forever. The world was broken. Their work was broken. Their labor was broken. Everything they knew about living upon this planet was broken. And life was heavy. And it's in the midst of this situation. It's in the midst here where where God approaches. He is actually approaching the serpent at this point. He sees that his beloved creatures are are experiencing such a burdensome life. And so he approaches the, the, the serpent, the symbol, the symbol of death, the symbol of destruction, the symbol of evil. 
And he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity is, is a deep-seated hatred. So what he's saying is, like, I'm going, to, I'm going to place a hatred for this bag, for this burden, for the, for the stones and the weights that humanity carries. I'm going to place a hatred for it within the heart of humanity, is what God is saying. And there will be a child who is born into humanity that will rise up to crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the very beginning, God says, I'm going to do away with the symbol of evil and destruction and hatred. From the very beginning, God promised that I will fix the problem myself. I'm not the one who caused the problem. Humanity, you're the one who caused the problem. You're experiencing the problem. You're experiencing the pain. You're experiencing the burden. But I am going to be the one who fixes it. And, and, and here's, here's the thing, right? So all of our coping strategies, we've all tempted to get rid of this bag ourselves. We've all tried. If we could recognize and believe that we are all carrying the weight and the burden of our sin, we also have to relate and believe that we are all trying to fix it ourselves. Every single one of us has tried. Coping in one way or another, drinking it away, drugging it away, relating it away, sleeping it away, working it away, religion, religionizing it away, all of us have tried to fix the problem ourselves. And God says it's never going to work. In fact, all of those attempts at fixing yourself, fixing yourself are just going to be more weights that you end up carrying. But I, but I, but I will come and do it. And so we've tried to fix this, right? And we think, well, the nature of religion or the nature of even the gospel, the nature of the good news, we think. I'm a sinner. We recognize that. And so I think that I must do something. A lot of people have fallen into that trap. Maybe you grew up in a, in a, in a religious system that taught you that trap. You are a sinner, and so you must do more. Anybody ever heard that before? You are guilty, and so you must do more. And the more might be any number of things, right? You are a sinner, and so you must come and say certain words. You must come and do certain things. You must come and perform certain rites. Or rituals. But that's not good news, friends. That's just more weight to carry around. That's just more guilt to carry around. That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. Jesus comes along and says, No, you're a sinner. Yes, acknowledge that. Recognize it. Believe it. It's true, right? We're all carrying the weight. We're all carrying the bag. Recognize and believe it. It's true. But God, but God, but God, but God, not but you, but God came into your mess to do something about it. And he invites every single one of us to come before him now. And not to add to the burden, but to take the burden off of our shoulders and to lay it down. Because he has secured a pathway forward through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Sin made us indebted. God has paid the debt. I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to sing a final song that speaks to this as we reflect on it for just one more second. This is the nature of the good news of Jesus. We are sinners. And, and this is something that not many people know, right? A lot of people have a good appreciation for Jesus, but Jesus came to die for sinners. Only sinners. We must acknowledge and recognize that we have the bag, that we're carrying the bag, that we have the rocks, that we are sinners. That is where we all need to start. But my friends, we don't need to end there. 
We don't need to end in the misery. We don't need to end in the, in the, in the, in the cycle of coping and falling deeper down and coping and falling deeper in. There is an escape to it. There's a pathway out of it. And it's through trust in what Jesus has done. It's trust that what he has done is sufficient. That he has paid the penalty of our sin. And through the shed blood of his son, God has washed away our sin. We can be free. And it begins with trust, not with trying harder. I'm going to say a prayer for us. And we are going to sing this song, and this song is just another prayer in a lot of ways, and I would encourage you to take whatever posture you want as we are here today. You can either sit or you can stand. You can get on your knees. You can raise your hands. You can celebrate. You can do whatever you feel like you want to do. Let the song be your prayer. But I'm going to say a prayer for us as we conclude our time together. And if you pray this prayer along with me, if you acknowledge right now that you have this incredible weight that you're carrying around, the burden of your own sin that you are carrying around, then I want to invite you to lay it down today. And this isn't a magical prayer that I'm going to pray. There's nothing special about it. It's just a prayer of confession, and it's a prayer of acknowledgement that God has come to do for me what I could not do for myself. And if you pray this prayer with contrition and you pray it honestly, then God will begin to work in you because what you're doing is you're opening up space for God to work. And God is going to plant a seed of his kingdom within you. And it is going to grow. And it may not grow immediately. And it may not grow fast. But it is going to grow if you cultivate it. If you give it some attention. If you water it and prune it and care for it. God will grow up within you his life. His patience, his joy, his peace, his kindness, his goodness, his gentleness, his faithfulness. Who of us does not want that? And so I encourage you to join me in prayer, but I can't force this upon you. It's something that you have to do and something you have to want for yourself. But if you're willing, if you're able, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I know it, Father. I carry it around. I I hear the voices still of my father. I hear the voices of my, my coach. I hear the voices of those influences who have spoken hatred over me and abuse over me. I know I'm broken. I know I've, I've created an identity around false things. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm guilty. I, I feel it. I, I, I can remember that time when I knew I was guilty. I, I felt it in my conscience. I carried it around with me. God, I know I'm guilty. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner, God. I admit that, but I trust and I believe that you came to die for sinners. And, and any all my attempts at my self-righteousness, Father, which is really my own attempts at fixing it, I want to confess and I want to repent of. I want to turn away from those, all the coping mechanisms. I, I've made good things the ultimate thing, Father, and I've made idols out of them. I've rejected you in so doing. And so, God, I lay it down. I I lay down my burdens at the foot of your cross, Father, and there where you took them and you nailed them to the cross in your flesh. You condemned them to death through the shed blood of your Son so that I could stand before you and others not condemned. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father. And I put my trust in you, and that's all you've asked for. All you've asked is that I believe and I trust that what you have done for me is sufficient. So I lay down all my selfish pride. 
I lay down all my selfish attempts. I lay down my own self-reigning heart that puts me at the center of all things. And it's created a, a selfish existence which has hurt me and hurt others. It's destroyed my household. It's destroyed relationships, Father. I lay all that down right now. And in its place, Father, would you plant your kingdom, your kingdom of love, of self-sacrificial love in me? And in it, Father, I pray that it would grow in me patience and kindness and goodness and grace and forgiveness and gentleness and self-control and justice and kindness and joy. I trust, Father, that you will do that in me as I continue to lay down my burdens and pick up my cross. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.